0: You guys know what today is, right? It's Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. This is the day that Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem uh, to to celebrate Passover. He knew his time was coming. And and the, the funny thing about this story is he tells his disciples, he says, hey, I need you to go ahead. There's going to be a donkey tied up, and I want you to untie that donkey. And if the owners ask, just say the Lord has need of it. And so they go ahead, right? And they walk into the, they're ahead of Jesus. They find this donkey. They're like, okay, there we go. There's the donkey. They're untying the donkey. Sure enough, here come the owners. They're like, what are you doing? And they're like, ah, don't worry. The Lord has need of it. And they're like, oh, okay. It's like, who does that? How does that happen? You know what I mean? Like, and, and so then from there, Jesus gets on the donkey and he's entering into the city and all these crowds come out and they're praising him, and they're worshiping him, and they recognize him for who he is. This is the Messiah, Hosanna, like we sang. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and they're throwing down their robes, and they're throwing down palm branches, and this is like a royal entry. It's like when the Queen of England goes into Um, wherever she goes into, I don't remember the name of the place, but they have that like red rug rolled out for her, you know? And so they're doing the same thing for Jesus and they recognize him as the Messiah and the King of Kings and the Savior of humanity. And then six days later, complete opposite. (laughs) I told myself I wasn't going to cry this morning. I'm like, I'm not going to cry. I do. I'm not going to cry. And every Sunday I cry it's the complete opposite. Very potentially those same people are mocking him, and they're beating him, and they're spitting on him, and they're calling him names. So he goes from this recognized king of kings, lord of lords, savior of humanity, to a criminal, to be crucified, to a man who took on the sins of the world, my sins, your sins, to be crucified six days later, the following Friday, this coming Good Friday. she carries so much weight. This morning we're going to talk about the weight of that, literally the weight of the cross that Jesus had to bear. We took a break from our First Peter series so that we could talk about this Easter season. And last week Kelly talked about <clears throat> what it means to carry our crosses. The scripture says that Jesus said, you, you're, you're to carry your cross. If you're going to follow me, lay your lives down and take up your cross. And this wasn't like Kelly had said this nice gesture of like, oh, it's just my cross to bear. No, it's, it's literally to take your own life and say, this is no longer my life. Lord, it's yours. You do with it as you please. My finances are yours. My marriage is yours. My work is yours. The ministry you've called me to is yours. I know I have a picture of what I want it to look like in my own mind, but I want the picture that you have for it to infiltrate my mind and my heart so that I can live out what you've called me to, to advance your kingdom and to bring you glory and honor. That's what it means to lay down your cross, and that's what Kelly talked about last week. This week, again, we're going to be talking about Jesus carrying his own cross, but not through the eyes of Jesus. A man named Simon is is, is the eyes who we're going to be looking through this morning. And he ended up participating in the execution of Jesus unbeknownst to himself. He was very surprised, I would imagine, that he was going to be participating in helping Jesus carry his cross that morning. It definitely wasn't something that he had planned. I'm gonna tell you a little story before we get started. I was driving up the 57 freeway before you enter into like the the San Bernardino, you know, LA County area. Before you get to the 60 interchange, it's about midnight, it's in the middle of the week, and I'm praying and I'm worshiping. I think it was about 25, and I feel the Holy Spirit come to me and tell me, I want you to pull over and offer to help the next car that's on the side of the freeway. And I'm like, you got it, God. No problem. Next car. I'm pulling over. And so I'm worshiping. I'm singing. I'm praying. I'm doing about 80. And again, it's dark. Yeah, I'll I'll repent for that one later, I guess. So I'm doing about 80. And I I see a car. And I'm like, going too fast to make it. I'll get the next one, Lord. (laughs) I promise I'll get the next one. And I feel the Holy Spirit come and tell me, no, you need to turn around. And I'm like, God, do you know how inconvenient that is? I have to get off the freeway, go up over the overpass, get back on, go south, get off again, go back up over the overpass, get back on. They're probably not even going to be there by then. God's like, nope, do it. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. A little frustrated, a little uncertain, like, man, this might be a waste of time. And so I get get off the freeway, go up over the overpass, get back on, head south, back up over, back up on the freeway, get to the car, pull over. Lo and behold. Destiny, literally, it was my friend Destiny. She was on the side of the road. (laughs) Literally, it was was my friend Destiny, a girl I had gone to high school with, and she had a flat tire. And I, I, I go, Destiny? And she goes, what are you doing here? I go, what are you doing here? She goes, you drove by. She noticed, she saw that I had passed her. She goes, you got off the freeway. And you came all the way back. She recognized how inconvenient this was for me. So she's like, you got off, you got back on, flipped around, came back, and now you're here. I'm like, yeah, and she says, this is crazy. And this was my opportunity. I'm like, this is gonna sound crazy to you. I said, because her and I, when we grew up in high school together, we, we partied together. So the guy that she knew, I was no longer. And so I said, I have an opportunity to share with her. And I said, this is gonna sound crazy. A Few years back, gave my life to Jesus. I'm driving up the 57, and I heard the Lord tell me to pull over and stop to help the next car. And I passed you. I didn't know it was you. And the Lord told me, go back. So I went back. And I'm like, I don't know what the purpose of this is. I don't know what, this is some sort of divine appointment, some sort of divine encounter. To this day, I still don't know what the purpose was. She had a friend there. He was fixing the tire. No big deal. So I just stood there and I chatted with her. I look forward to the day when I can ask the Lord what that was about. It might have been for me just to be encouraged in my faith. But the odds, I was thinking about the odds of this happening. I'm like, there's like 10 million people between LA, Orange, and San Bernardino County, and it's midnight on a weeknight. What are the odds that she is the one that's pulled over on the side of the freeway for me to encounter her? It's destiny. (laughs) So ironic in more ways than one. I imagine maybe for her, it's like, she tells the same story and she says, my friend Ryan one day, I'm, I have a flat tire and, and, and I I'm, I'm, have my friends fixing it, but then he comes and he tells me that the Lord told him to pull over. She ends up telling me that she's a Christian and she gave her life to Christ. So I'm thinking, oh, maybe this is to encourage her. I'm sure that it is, I would imagine so. Because that's a miraculous story, isn't it? Destiny on the side of the 57 freeway. Our text this morning is going to be Mark 15, 21. It's way less verses than the last time I preached. We're only going to be looking, focusing primarily on this one. So, um, but to give it some context, I'm going to start in verse 16, and I'm going to read through verse 22. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, starting in verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. They're mocking him. And they had mocked him, and they had stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passer-by, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. In Matthew's Gospel, it also says that Simon was compelled and that he seemed to just be passing by. We don't know if he was like stopping to watch and see in Luke's gospel, it says that he was seized, and I thought about these two words, because in all three of those gospels, it talks about Simon, and in two of them, it says that he was compelled, and in one of them, it says that he was seized, and I thought, well, to be seized means to be grabbed, like, nope, you, you are, I'm, I'm binding you up, and you're going to do what I want you to do, and I thought of the word as compelled, like when you're, and you're in a court case, and an attorney comes up, and he gives a very compelling argument, So he's trying to persuade your thinking. So I tried to put myself in Simon's shoes and a lot of this is gonna be through the eyes of Simon and, and what I think he may have gone through. And so I looked up what the word compelled meant to try and join the words seized and compelled. And compelled literally means to force or oblige, someone to do something or bring about the use of force or pressure. So Simon's passing by and the Roman guards say, you, Get over here. It's not, they're not giving him a compelling argument to try and trick him into picking up Jesus' cross. They tell him, you're going to come and you're going to help with this. You don't have a choice. And we know in Mark's gospel that he was passing by because it says he was a passerby coming in from the country. So my point, my first point this morning is you have an appointment with God. I had one with my friend Destiny on the side of the 57 freeway. There was purpose in it. I may not know right now, but there was definitely purpose in that appointment. Simon had an appointment with God when the Roman guards compelled him and seized him to carry Jesus' cross. So who was Simon? Simon was from Cyrene. Cyrene is in North Africa, which is currently Libya, like right on the coast. So you have North Africa here and the Mediterranean Sea and Jerusalem is way over here, way over here. (laughs) and and so it's 900 miles away from Cyrene. We know historically that there was a small pocket of Jews in Cyrene because it's detailed out in Romans and Acts, and we believe that Simon was one of those Jews. So we also can assume that Simon came to Jerusalem for the Passover. And I thought, okay, let's put myself in Simon's shoes. I've soaked in this and thought of all these different scenarios that Simon had to go through to get to Jerusalem at that moment in time. He's 900 miles away. That's from here in Chino to Eugene, Oregon. Nerd moment, I mapped how long it would take to walk to Eugene, Oregon from here in Chino. 13 days. That's without stopping. That's 24 hours a day. So we have modern roads, we have hotels, we have restaurants, We have smartphones that tell us if the weather's going to be bad. We can be listening to our iPods. We can be watching Netflix, something to help the time pass. It wasn't like that back then. They didn't know what the weather was going to be like. They didn't have paved roads. So he had to plan this trip. Okay, so say he walks for 12 hours a day without obstruction. Now it takes 26 days for him to get to Jerusalem. And he's got his boys I don't know how old his boys are, but if you've ever traveled with kids, your trip takes a lot longer, doesn't it? I gotta go to the bathroom, I'm hungry. My parents, I won't tell you what my parents used to do. (laughs) Are we there yet? 20 minute drive, 20 minute drive, 15 minutes in. Are we there yet? No, five more minutes. One minute later, are we there yet? No, four more minutes. Could you imagine 900 miles? On foot? For 26 days? I'm sure it took longer than that. Some historians believe that, that he may have taken a boat, so he had to sail from uh, Cyrene across the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa and then hike it in from Joppa to Jerusalem. Another like, amazing, miraculous circumstance. We don't know what the weather's like. He has to have the wind against it or, uh, at his back in order for the boat to go the direction that they want it to go. We don't know how long that took. So let's assume it took him a month. And he's a Jewish man. He knows about Passover, and he wants to go and celebrate it, and he plans with his family. He works hard. He saves money. He sets a month aside to get there, a month aside to get back. Two months of his life. Twelve months in a year. So he takes this two months, undoubtedly, probably longer, to get to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. He's coming in from the country. We don't know if he was standing by, what's going on over there? We know there was a crowd around Jesus. We know that he was being mocked. We know that he was being spat upon. We know that in those days, that, that when someone was being crucified, often there was a crowd, and this wasn't necessarily an unusual thing. But for Simon from Cyrene, was he literally just passing by, not knowing what's going on, and the Roman guards grab him? You, come here and he's like, what do you want with me? Now he's inconvenienced. He may or may not know who Jesus is because he is 900 miles away. He might have caught wind of Jesus' teaching or maybe a couple of miracles that Jesus had performed. But the full weight and teaching of Jesus had not been spread throughout the world just quite yet. So it's kind of safe to assume that Simon didn't even know who Jesus was. So now the guards are compelling him to help crucify a criminal. And he's probably frustrated. He's probably like, I just traveled a month to get here. My kids are here. You want me to go over there and help with that? That criminal? That man? I, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I'm here for the Passover. I'm here to celebrate. And, and now I'm participating in an execution? He has no idea what he's getting into. So he gets the cross up to Golgotha. Does he stand around and watch? And all these other followers of Jesus are like mourning and weeping and he sees the two other criminals and he hears Jesus to the one criminal. Today, you're going to dine with me in heaven with my father. And he's like, what is this guy talking about? Because he doesn't know. He doesn't have a clue. Maybe he gets the cross to Golgotha and he's like, I'm here for the Passover, so I'm out. I I did my part here, I don't need to stick around. Interestingly enough, as a Jew, when he went to go pick up that cross that undoubtedly had Jesus' blood on it, he became ceremonially unclean and would not have been allowed to participate in the Passover. Could you imagine the frustration that he felt? I'm supposed, I took all this time off, I saved time, I brought my family, I'm supposed to be here celebrating. And now this, I'm unclean. All of a sudden, the sky goes dark. I'm going to read out of Matthew 27, starting in verse 45. And then we're going to jump ahead to 51 through 54. And it says, now in the sixth hour, which was actually noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. It was dark from noon to 3 p.m. Simon's like, what is going on? I came here to celebrate the Passover. What is happening? We pick up in verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook. Now Simon's in an earthquake. And he's like, I just helped this man get executed. It just got dark for three hours in the middle of the day. And now we're having an earthquake? What is happening? The tombs were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, they were dead, Were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those, the centurions of Roman guard who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. So Simon's standing there and he hears the the centurion say this. And he's like, What? Or he's not standing there, and he's asking somebody else. It's dark. There's just an earthquake. And he's like, can somebody please explain what's going on? And they say, you don't know? He says, no, I don't. I came here for the Passover. I can't even participate now. They said, they just crucified our Messiah. They just crucified our King. I would imagine that Simon probably felt tremendous grief Tremendous heartache, realizing that he took Jesus to the cross. He bore Jesus' cross, that the Savior of his own soul went and died, and that he had to participate in that. I was talking to Steph about it, and I thought, man, that had to be hard. It had to be heavy for him to realize that he took part in, in the Messiah's death. And the teachings of Jesus get back to Cyrene after Jesus was crucified. And he goes from feeling terrible guilt and then having a revelation of that being necessary because he hears Jesus saying himself, I have to go to the cross and I have to die in order to save you. And I imagine Simon going, wait a second. And his grief going from pain and like angst over what he participated in, into like oh my gosh, what a privilege. What a privilege for me to be able to help Jesus carry his cross to his death to save me. He's the only one that can say that. The only one. And I told Steph, I said, I think I would feel pretty pretty privileged in that moment. I would feel so much better knowing that this was necessary and that I had a part to play in Jesus fulfilling the atonement of our sin through his death, burial, and resurrection. And stuff like, I think I would still feel pretty broken. I don't know where you guys are today. But what Jesus did for you was a miraculous thing. And it was necessary. Simon was able to participate in that. What does this mean for us? If you're here and you're a Christian, you've already had an appointment with God and it was the day that you got saved. I remember the day I got saved as crystal clear. Like it was yesterday. Thank God it wasn't yesterday. But you've already had an appointment with God. You've undoubtedly had other appointments with God. If you don't remember what those are, ask God to recall them to your memory. They, they encourage you. They build your faith. If you do remember them, remember them often. Because they do build your faith. They do spur you on. They do cause you to seek others and to share. They're compelling. They seize you. They force you to move. Remember them. Maybe you're here and you're like Simon. Maybe you're literally a passerby and you've been walking by this church for weeks. And you hear the music. And you hear us singing and worshiping. And you felt compelled to come in. Something inside you seized you and said, go through those doors. If that's you today, maybe you were invited by a friend and it's very similar and you're asking yourself, what am I doing here today? I want to tell you that you have an appointment with God today. I want to tell you that it's not a mistake that you're here. And I want to tell you that that compelling that you felt, that seizing in your heart is God saying, come and join me in a relationship. I sent my son for you too. So your response today is to give your life to Jesus. These appointments are compelling, and they do cause us to move. They force us to move. They force us to sacrifice. They force us to change, just like Simon. He had to change. He had to surrender to what the guards were compelling him to do. And at some point or another, he had to have the revelation of the weight of what he participated in. And it changed him. It had to change him. I cannot imagine it not changing him. My second point is you're called to cross-bearing. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here because Kelly did a wonderful job last week of of talking about what that means and what it looks like. Simon's cross-bearing was literally, in fact, carrying Jesus' cross. And when he went home, I can guarantee you that his cross-bearing in his own life looked considerably different. There's another character in the Old Testament. His name is Moses. And his cross-bearing moment came through a burning bush. Unexpected. Just like my encounter on the 57 freeway. Just like Simon's encounter when the guards grabbed him as a passerby coming in from the country. He sees a burning bush and that bush calls to him and says, Take your shoes off, Moses. You're on holy ground. Here's what I want you to do. A shepherd the lowest of the low is called by god through a burning bush to go to the king the pharaoh of all of egypt and say free my people it's unbelievable that was his cross to bear millions of people led out of egypt and into the promised land we've got david jeff talked a little bit about david this morning another shepherd the lowest of the low samuel is there. If you know the story, Samuel's there. He's with Jesse. Jesse brings his boys in. Samuel's like, I'm going to appoint a king. Bring me your boys. Nope, 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 nope. Do you have any more kids? Yeah, the shepherd out in the field. Bring him in. David comes in. His cross-bearing moment. Anointed the king over Israel, the lowest of the low, the, the, the last person to be expected to be called to bear that cross. We know when we read scripture that David wrestled as a king. He wrestled, but he bore that cross well. There's another man, Abraham, also in the Old Testament. God promised him a son when he was 100 years old. Who wants to have a kid when you're 100? I don't. Sarah, his wife, was 99. She was all for it, but she laughed when Abraham told her what God said. She wanted a son. That was their cross to bear. You know what's interesting about that son? Of course, God fulfilled that promise. That son's name was Isaac. And at one point, God tells Abraham, this is a major cross to bear for him. I want you to take your son, and I want you to sacrifice him. This was a foreshadowing of what was to come. Abraham says, I will do this, Lord. And he puts the wood on his son's back to take him to the sacrifice. Scripture says in Genesis 22 6, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. God took the wood of the cross and put it on Jesus' back to be the sacrifice and atonement for our sin. This was a foreshadowing of that and a major cross to bear. Mark 8, 34, and and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come up after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Please hear what I'm saying. It would be really easy to check out right now because you're looking at these stories and you're, you're thinking to yourself, this doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm not being called to sacrifice my son. I'm not being called to lead people out of, out of a country. Maybe you are, but don't check out. I'm not being called to be a king over an entire land. What I want to assure you is that the cross you're called to bear from Christ carries weight, no matter how big or small you think it is. I assure you it's big because it's from God. It's not small. God doesn't do anything without intent. Intent, God doesn't do anything that's small. God doesn't do anything that's insignificant or without purpose. So whatever cross you're called to bear is from God, it's holy. And it carries weight. And it's yours to bear because it's important to God. So please don't minimize the cross that God has given you to bear. Point number three we help each other carry our crosses. When Steph and I first got married, I had a struggle with pornography. And it came out into our marriage and it affected us, obviously very negatively. And I had to confess to her, I had to confess to church leadership, I had to confess to other brothers, and I had to enlist help. I couldn't carry that cross on my own. My pride told me that I could, And I fell under the weight of it. So what did I do? I enlisted accountability. I met with other men who had struggled and, and found success in this area. And I gleaned from them and I learned from them. And I gave myself to Christ in this area. And I said, brothers, can you help me carry this cross? To this day, it's been a long time since I've struggled with that issue. So this day, when I go out of town, I let two or three brothers know I'm going out of town. And they know what that means. That means that I'm going to be alone and that I'm asking them to check in on me and to be prepared for me to call them if I need to. Here's the thing about that. I I don't do that at this point because I'm afraid I'm going to fall. But I don't want to give the enemy a doorway. I don't want to give him an opportunity to come in and steal from my wife something that belongs to her. And steal from God something that he ordained for me and her that's holy. But I need help. I go before you guys and I say, I'm going out of town. And I get phone calls and text messages and they're so greatly appreciated and they sustain me. I want to say one thing about accountability. It's not going and sinning and then coming back and repenting and asking for forgiveness. It's a preemptive measure to prevent you from sinning. That's what accountability is. We know that we need to help each other because Jesus is our example and he needed help. Jesus was fully God and fully man. In that moment, on the way up to Golgotha, he was fully man. His humanity was being further exposed. In his godness, he could have carried that cross for eternity. But in order for him to be able to atone for our sins, he had to live that out as a man. We like to go hiking, and of course we bring Abby with us. And she went with us in late December. A few few of you guys were with us. We hiked a mile and a half into Chantry Falls, I think is what it's called. And, And she hiked all the way in. She did amazing. And then on the way out, we have this little backpack, and you can put your your child in, you know. And so I put her in the pack. She weighs about 45 pounds. And I hike her that mile and a half out. And I have to stop multiple times because I can't carry the weight all the way up the hill. And I thought about this, and I thought, Jesus had been beaten almost to death. And they put the cross on him and told him, carry this. Now you have the responsibility of carrying this. I couldn't even carry my own child, 45 pounds for a mile and a half, up a hill. I had to stop. Jesus needed help. He couldn't do it on his own. I wonder if Simon asked himself at any moment, how did he even carry the cross that far? He's got the cross on his back. This cross is estimated, just the cross members is is estimated to have weighed between 80 and 120 pounds. I was carrying 45 without being beaten at all, and I had to stop multiple times. I wonder if Simon has this thing on his back, and he's slugging along with it, and he's looking at Jesus, and he's staring at his exposed flesh. And he's like, how did he even get anywhere with this? The fact that Jesus could carry that cross any distance at all is nothing short of a miracle. Jesus endured every trial, As a man, every temptation, every opportunity to sin. He was beaten as a man. He felt pain as a man. He died as a man. And in the process of cross bearing, he needed help. There are areas in our lives where we suffer under the weight of the cross and we need help. We're going to come into land and I just want to ask you guys a few questions. If you're a believer here today and you don't remember your salvation moment the day you came to know Jesus, I want to encourage you to remember it. If you're a believer here today and you don't remember any other God encounters, I want to to encourage you this morning to pray, God, would you remind me or would you help me to see if you completely missed it? That moment that you came in and I had an encounter with you, and it was a special, specific appointment. Ask God to reveal that to you, because it is faith-filled, it's powerful, it came from God, it's special. Second way to respond is, is if you're here and you don't know Jesus, and you are a passerby or somebody who had been invited, is to literally respond to the call today. You're not here by mistake. The third thing I want to talk about, and the third way we can respond is by acknowledging our pride. Acknowledging as we carry our crosses and we look at our brothers and sisters and we say, I don't need your help with this, I've got it. And we're being crushed under the weight of our own cross. To swallow your pride and ask for help. Maybe it is with work, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in your parenting. Maybe it's a personal struggle like mine to ask for help, swallow your pride. Proverbs says, pride comes before the fall, and in this context, we fall under the weight of our own cross because we're not willing to ask for help.